0: Okay, so um, if you are visiting, it's great to have you here this morning. We are actually in a series, it's called The Genius of Jesus. But the great thing about this series, especially if you're just here visiting today is that each week is kind of a standalone message, so uh, you've not missed anything up to this point. You can uh, just jump right in today. And um, the idea behind this series, The Genius of Jesus, is that we happen to think that Jesus was just genius the way he did this. And that is that in all the ways that he communicated, in all the teaching that he shared, all the interactions he had with people that we can read about, in um, the four accounts we have of his life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John four different letters written by four different people that kind of talked about the life of Jesus and what he did. In all these four accounts, there were many ways that he spoke with other people. There was some teaching and preaching that he did, but there was a lot of stories that he told. In fact, almost a third of the, the words of Jesus were what are called parables, Parables, these stories that gave us these insights into the character of who God is, stories that speak to to us today about how we can live our lives and can challenge us. And the genius of Jesus is that they have stood the test of time. That 2,000 years later, we're still reading these stories, and they are still speaking to us. And maybe even some of the stories we've talked about over the last three weeks, you heard before, but heard in a new light. Maybe there's something new you picked up on in one of these stories, and that is the genius of Jesus. So to set up the story I'm going to speak about this morning, I want to start by talking about um, some late night talk show TV hosts. Okay, some TV hosts from late night TV. And uh, I actually need your help here. I wanna find out who are your favorites, okay? So we're gonna work through uh, a few different time slots here. So I guess like one of the late, late, late shows, okay? There's two different time slots. There's a guy called Seth Myers, and on another channel is a guy called James Corden, okay? So um, just by a little round of applause, any Seth Myers fans here today? Awesome. Seth's brother's here and his uncle, I think. So awesome. Okay. How about James Corden? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think he was the clear winner of that one. I'm rather pleased about that because he's a fellow countryman of mine, comes from my side of the Atlantic, so I happen to enjoy him and his carpool karaoke. Okay. Let's move up a little earlier in the evening and let's get a little bit trickier here. Because these two, they have a lot of fans. Okay, we've got the two Jimmys here, we've got Jimmy Fallon and Jimmy Kimmel. So let's start out, a little round of applause for the, from the Jimmy Fallon fans out there. Whoa. Yeah, that was like a seven on the clapometer, so well done there. Okay, so we got that for Jimmy Fallon. What about Jimmy Kimmel? Yeah, no, that was only a 4.5, I think. So, uh, yeah. So, we will, uh, we will crown Jimmy Fallon the winner of that one. Now, we're going to go back a little bit. So I think some of you will remember these two guys. We have David Letterman or Jay Leno. Okay. So, any Letterman fans here this morning? Yeah. All right. We've got some Letterman fans in the house. How about Leno? That, that kind of sounded a little bit even to me there. You know, it was a kind of an even split, which I think is how it was. You were either a J fan or a, or a Letterman fan, but uh, uh, pretty evenly split there. Now, if we had to go back even further, now, I didn't grow up here in America, so I'm not familiar with this particular person, but um, I discovered when I went back a little bit further, there weren't really two. There was just one, and it was this guy here. And he, yeah, look, already... Fans of the man, Johnny Carson. And uh, if you remember the Johnny Carson show, I think it was, the late show or the Tonight Show? What was his show called? Tonight Show with Johnny Carson, okay? So the Tonight Show with Johnny Carson, one of the uh, most memorable things about this particular show was he had a friend, a guy called Ed McMahon, who would introduce him every time. He'd kind of run through the list of what was going to be in the show that night, and then he would finish off by bringing him on by saying... Hey, well done. See, you didn't even just say, here's Johnny. You're like, here's Johnny, which I said with my American accent there for you because here's Johnny just doesn't sound right. So uh, it's true. That uh, That was his fame. You know, people knew him by that introduction. So there was a guy I discovered just recently. I came across this individual. His name was John Searing. Now, John Searing grew up and lived in New Jersey, was a huge fan of Johnny Carson, and decided to write to the show one day and say, hey, I would love to come on, and I'd love to do the here's Johnny part, and he sent the letter, and do you know what he got back in reply? An 8 by 10 glossy picture of Johnny Carson. <laughs> thanks, but no thanks. Well, you know, John Searing, he's like, I didn't ask for a picture. I asked to be the announcer. So he wrote another letter. And he wrote another letter. And he wrote another letter. And eventually the studio wrote back and said, listen, we're sorry, but it's, it's not going to happen. You've got to stop, keep writing to us. But this guy, he was pretty persistent. And he wrote another letter. And this time he actually started addressing them personally to Johnny Carson himself. Dear Johnny, I'd love to come on your show. And I'd love to be the guy introducing you. He wrote again. And again, and again, listen to what he said in a newspaper article describing the events that took place in this man's life. He says, no matter what was happening in my life, I would write a letter every day, and I would address it to Johnny Carson personally. Each letter asked if I could please yell, here's Johnny, on the show. Over 800 letters, (laughs) yeah, yeah. So, like, if that's every day, that's well over two years he's writing every day, every day. Johnny Carson gets his mail every day. Here's a letter from John Searing. Hey, I'd love to be the guy who comes on your show. So do you know what? After over 800 letters, Johnny Carson wrote back and said, okay, (laughs) we'll make it happen. Check this out. Good luck. Good luck. Good luck. Okay. Okay. Well, so John, why don't you go out to uh, Ed's mic there? I will go back uh, stage and uh, like the opening of the show, and John Searing from West Caldwell, uh, New Jersey, will be our announcer. Okay. Kevin will cue you. I'll be out of the time. Orchestra, inviting you to join Johnny and his guests, Danny DeVito, from the San Diego Zoo, John Ingram, letter writer John Steering, and Adventures in the Kitchen with Doc. And now, ladies and gentlemen, it's... <laughs> okay, that was pretty good. Very good. I okay. don't okay, really good. good. Thank you. You did, you did that. I think Ed would even agree. You did that very professionally. Thank you. You're a good-looking gentleman. Thank you very, very much. much. Yeah. Uh, congratulations. <laughs> Your fantasy now go and write no more. Like <laughs> <laughs> problem. Thank you. We'll be. Right back. Did you see the look on his face when he actually got to say, Here? It's like that is the look of a man who has written 800 times and has finally got the chance to do it. I, if it were me, I would be terrified. Like, I'm finally here. I'd be like, Here's Jimmy, jo- Johnny. I mean, <laughs> I'd mess it up. But he got to have his dream contract. And here's the question I want to ask you this morning. When would you have stopped writing? After 20 letters, would you have thought, This isn't going to happen? 50 letters? A hundred letters, that's a lot of times, a hundred. What about 500? Five hundred letters, that's a lot of letters to write. Surely at that point you'd think, yeah, this isn't going to happen. But it didn't stop John Searing. Over 800 times he wrote, and finally his wish came true. You know, Jesus talks about this kind of persistence in one of the stories that he tells. He tells a parable. Uh, He told many of these parables, but this one was called the parable of the persistent widow. And we're going to look at that this morning. We're going to look at this story that Jesus told because there's a very interesting story he tells here about persistence. So Luke is uh, the guy who writes about this particular story. So we're going to turn to Luke chapter 18, and then verse 1 starts this way. One day, Jesus told his disciples a story a parable, to show that they should always pray and never give up. Now, this is a really interesting start to this particular parable. Not all the parables start this way. Jesus kind of frames it for us. He says, hey, this is where I'm going with this story. Because whether you realize this or not, we all have filters. Okay, We all have filters in our lives that affects the way we perceive information. Those filters are formed as we grow up. Maybe we grew up in a strong, loving family. Maybe we grew up in a broken family. Maybe we're going through sickness, maybe family situations. But all these things, they affect our filter. So when we hear a story, depending on the the life lessons, the life situations we've been through, it'll filter what we hear. Justin did a great job of bringing this to our attention last week when he told the story about the prodigal son. He actually reminded us that um, Jesus never called it the the parable of the prodigal son. We've called it that. Jesus actually starts out the story by saying there were two sons. So in that story, he's telling the story of two different sons. But depending on the filter that you read that story through, depending on what you've been through in your life, will kind of gravitate you towards one or the other of those sons. You'll, You'll kind of think this is a story about forgiveness, or this is a story about jealousy, maybe, if it's looking at the older brother. And he did a great job of telling us that last week. But instead of having to try and figure out what Jesus is talking about, in this story, he says, hey, here's the moral of the story. You have to be persistent in praying. Now let me tell you the story. So verse 1, he says, um, he's going to tell them the story of how they should always pray and never give up. And then he tells the story. And here's how the story starts. In verse 2, there was a judge in a certain city, he said, who neither feared God nor cared about people. Now we can kind of skip over this if we were reading quickly and not pay too much attention to that, but the crowd listening to this story that Jesus was telling would be taken aback a little bit by that phrase. Because you see, a judge in that time would typically be somebody who does fear God and does care about people. That's kind of what it means to be a judge. You can read in the Bible in the Old Testament that God was anointing. Before they had kings, they had judges. And these judges were brought to bring leadership, come to be a mouthpiece for God. And one of the requirements, one of the attributes of a a judge in biblical times was that they would be God-fearing people who cared about their brothers and sisters. That's kind of what a judge looked like. So Jesus starts out this story by saying, you've got this judge, but he neither feared God or loved people. So to kind of bring a modern-day kind of version of this, it would be like if Jesus was here this morning. He'd say, um, "You've got this musician, and this particular musician, okay, has no appreciation for good music and sounds terrible when he sings." That's kind of what this is sounded like, okay? Jesus started out saying, "You've got this musician has no appreciation for music, sounds terrible when he sings." Now, obviously, if we heard that, we think, "Well, that doesn't sound like a musician at all." Unless they're a country musician, it does sound a little bit like a country musician, but. Uh, easy. But Jesus is saying, listen, this isn't your ordinary judge. So already we've got a a story here where the judge is is, is kind of being framed, kind of being painted here as a bad, bad judge. Next we meet the the second character in the story. It's this widow. In verse 3, it says, a widow of that city came to him repeatedly saying, give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. Now, it's important to understand, this, this widow, she could have been any age. I think sometimes we tend to think that, you know, we hear the word widow, we think of maybe an elderly lady, uh, kind of, you know, hunched back with a shawl over her head or something like that. But actually, in this particular time, uh, people could have died young. There was a lot of sickness. Maybe the husband left her. So, so this may have been a widow who was a younger lady, but for, for whatever reason, hadn't been taken in by her family. Hadn't been married by another man, so now was kind of an outcast. She wouldn't have had the opportunity to go to a judge through the traditional ways. She couldn't have gone before the judge like other people in her community could. So she had to get a bit creative. So it says that she came to him repeatedly with her dispute. The judge ignored her for a while, but finally he said to himself, I don't fear God or care about people, but this woman is driving me crazy. Imagine Jesus telling the story. He's like, at this point, she's driving me crazy. I'm going to see that she gets justice because she is wearing me out with her constant requests. So here you've got this judge who gets up in the morning. He comes out of his, his home to go to work. And as he comes down the steps of his house, there's this widow. And she's saying, judge, give me mercy. Give me justice. He climbs on his donkey, and he rides to work. And as he's riding along, she's kind of just jogging along next to him. Justice! I want justice! He stops at Starbucks, and he goes to get his drink. He comes out. There she is. I want justice! He gets to work, finally gets into the courthouse. It's kind of a bit of peace and quiet. He deals with his regular uh, cases throughout the day. But as soon as he comes out, there she is again. Justice! She's following him home. Maybe she's stood outside his window just crying out, Please give me justice! She is the John Searing of widows. She is persistent. She's just not giving up. She is just persistent again and again and again. And it says in the story that finally he admits that she's wearing me out with her constant requests. You know, it's sad sometimes because as we translate the Bible into English so that we can read it, we've got to remember that it was written originally in Greek. So we'll use phrases that are easy for us to understand, and we'll miss some of the original context of what Luke wrote. So this particular phrase, she is wearing me out, it literally means she is, um, she is striking under the eye. That's what that phrase meant, to strike under the eye. It literally means she is just punching and punching, like she's trying to give me a black eye here. She just will not stop. Which I think is fascinating because let's not forget, Jesus has already framed this story for us. He's told us this is a story about prayer. He's teaching the disciples how to pray. So essentially what he's saying here is when you pray, are you striking God? Are you beating again and again? Are you trying to blacken God's eye until he answers? This is the kind of persistence Jesus is talking about. He's saying when it comes to asking God, how bad do you really want it? How bad do you want it? Then Jesus closes out with this amazing punchline. He says, Then the Lord said, Learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him at day and night? Jesus is saying here, Listen, her persistence paid off. Her persistence was somebody who neither feared God nor loved people paid off. How much more will your persistence in prayer pay off to a just God, to a God who does love people, to a God who does want to hear and answer your prayers? How much more do you think He will respond to your persistent prayer? See, Jesus is using this parable to show us something about God. He's using this parable to say, listen, God isn't like the judge in this story. In fact, he's the complete opposite of the judge in this story. He's using the parable, the the genius of Jesus, that he's using this story to give us a little insight into who God is. But he's also using the story to give us a little insight into what he expects of us. This persistent widow... She went time and time again to a judge that didn't care. Jesus is saying, when it comes to prayer, we should come time and time again to a judge, to a father, to a God who does care. So what can we take away from this story this morning? Jesus obviously was speaking to his disciples right there about the idea of prayer, but I think Jesus knew that this would be a story that would be told for years to come. The 2,000 years later, we'd still be looking at these stories, still learning from them today. So how do we learn here, 2017, Washington, Illinois? What can we learn from this persistent widow? Well, I think it teaches us a lot about prayer. But here's what I don't think it teaches us. I don't think it's a formula to twist in God's arm. I don't think it's a, wow, God, I get it. So I'm going to start praying every day for that Ferrari. God, please, God, I want that Ferrari. Because if I pray hard enough, if I strike him enough times, eventually I'm going to wake up one morning and in my garage, new Ferrari. (laughs) Unfortunately, that's not how it works. And here's how I know that's not how it works, because there are other verses in the Bible that we have to, to take into account to keep this in balance. That's the beautiful, wonderful thing about reading the Bible and reading it in its entirety is because very often you can look at one verse and take it out of context, say, well, I'm going to agree with that. But actually, there could be another verse that doesn't contradict this verse. It just holds it in balance. So John, he was one of Jesus' closest disciples, one of his closest friends. He wrote these three letters, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. And in 1 John, he says this about prayer. He says, 1 John chapter 5, 14 and 15, this is the confidence we have in approaching God. So he's talking about prayer, approaching God. He says that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. So he says we can approach God in confidence. We can ask for anything. But listen to the little phrase he throws in the middle there. He says, anything according to his will. According to his will. John's saying, you know, there's another factor at play here. There's the will of God for our lives. It may not be God's will for your life to have that brand new Ferrari. It may, but probably not at least not to just show up anyway, maybe to work hard for. So we pray, and Jesus told us this, didn't he? He said, when you pray, say, um, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So that's the tension, I think, that we live in sometimes. We're like the widow. We want to pray persistently for something, but we also acknowledge that God's will is at play here. So I'll give you an example. Casey, my wife, um, just over the last year has um, has had some health issues and, you know, it's really affected her life in in many ways. And and I hate to see her like this. I hate to see her any time that she's in pain or uh, discomfort, that kind of thing. So I've been praying persistently like this widow, God, would you heal Casey? Would you heal my wife? I believe that God can heal. I pray for many people who've been sick because I really believe that God still wants to heal today. And yet at this point, despite the fact that every day I try and spend some time praying specifically for Casey and this sickness, at this point, she still hasn't been healed. Now, here's the crazy thing. So Casey and I were just talking about this recently, and she was kind of sharing with me um, that despite the fact that she would much rather be fully healthy, she is seeing God at work in this. She's seeing how through this sickness, God has started to, to change who she is. It's actually kind of making her, uh, drawing her closer to him. The way she interacts with other people now, even the way she interacts with the family, she's seeing how through this, God is actually kind of using it to shape and mold her, to make her who he wants her to be. And I love her for that. I love that she is, um, you know, willing to come before God and say, God, I don't understand this, but I'm going to allow you to use it in my life. But it's not going to stop me from praying persistently, saying, God, please heal her. But also, God, I understand your will be done. And maybe you're in that situation here this morning. Maybe there's something going on in your life. Maybe it's a a financial situation, a health situation, and you are praying persistently. That's a good thing. That's what Jesus was teaching us in this parable, that he wants us to pray persistently. You know, in these front few rows here, we've got some wonderful people here, family members, because we are here to pray for these beautiful kids this morning for Max and for Rowan. And it was great to gather here with the families and pray that prayer, but I think all of us know here this morning that wasn't just a one and done. Okay, we prayed for him. He's good. The reality is that we're going to continue to pray every day for these young men and that there's been a lot of prayer already prayed for both of them up till now. And I think if I went around the room this morning and spoke to any parent or grandparent here this morning, you would say, I, I, I just love to be able to pray for these precious kids. And we pray persistently for their health and their protection, that they would grow up to discover that God loves them, that God has a plan for them. They would grow up to uh, discover Jesus for themselves and have their own relationship with him. And we pray persistently for that. And I think we can learn that from this story, that Jesus wants us to pray this way. So you have situations that are outside of our control that cause us to pray. You have you know, loved ones that we want to pray for. But I want to talk about another area of prayer this morning. Because the reality is, I think we do very well at praying when those needs are there. But when there isn't really a need around, sometimes we can kind of pull away from that idea of praying persistently. I want to show you a picture this morning that kind of illustrates this. Because I think for some of us, we live in this world where um, we're in control. We're very much in control of our environment. Everything, you know, the way it is right now, we're kind of in control. So it's not that we don't pray. We pray, but in a place in which we are in control, that, that persistent prayer doesn't come out so much. That need to pray persistently doesn't really um, appear quite so much because things are in control. But see, here's the thing. I think God has some amazing plans for all of us here this morning. I think he has some incredible destiny and purpose and vision For all of us. In fact, I think some of you have already had a kind of a glimpse as to what that vision looks like. So you have control, and then up here you have vision. And the scary thing is the vision is kind of way outside of that area of control. So it can be a little scary to move in that direction because I don't want to leave the comfort and safety of control to move towards vision, although vision is something that I'm excited about. And we'd love it if there was a shortcut or a way to just jump straight from A to Z. But the reality is the only way to get from control to vision is by going through this this third area that we call risk. Going through this, this area of risk, stepping outside of control into risk. Because you know what? When you step into that place, that's when you have to kind of start looking towards God saying, God, I need your help. I need to pray to you right now because God's vision for your life is beyond your control. Did you know that this morning? God's vision, where God wants to take you, it's actually beyond your control. Now, for some, that kind of sounds scary, but actually that should excite us. It should make us think, man, I want to be in that place, and I want to realize that I'm going to have to step outside of my control. And despite being a scary prospect, here's the the encouraging thing about it. The reality is that it's in risk where our faith grows. When we step into risk, that is where our faith grows. We've had this happen just recently here at Connect. I'll tell you a little story about uh, what God's been doing in my life and in, in this, the life of the church here with this whole idea of stepping out of control into risk towards that vision, praying, saying, God, I can only get from here to here, this, this risk area, I can only get through this by persistently praying and trusting that you will show up. So last year we realized that we were uh, at a point in the life of Connect Church where we really needed to hire a new pastor Uh, We recognize that, you know, with two services now and a growing attendance, we had some great um, staff, people in place to oversee our kids and our youth and our creative area. But um, there was a lot of other areas like small groups and volunteering and um, assimilation, getting people plugged in and connected here at Connect that we felt like, man, it's just a lot for just one person at the time. I was the, the person kind of responsible for all of that to do by themselves. So we looked at the budget, and we figured that we could actually afford to hire someone part-time. We had enough money to be able to hire this position part-time. So we started to look around part-time, and the difficulty with trying to hire somebody part-time is, you may have a pastor who does this really well at another church in another state or another city, and it's very hard to ask that person to leave that place and come here for a part-time position. So what we ended up doing was finding, you know, some different people who could do it part-time, but maybe didn't have the experience that someone who does this full-time somewhere else would have. So I remember calling a friend of mine who was a pastor, and we were chatting about some stuff, and I was telling him about this role we were trying to fill. And he said to me, he said, Dave, I think that's a full-time position. Why aren't you hiring that full-time? I said, well, I think you're right, I said, but unfortunately we can't afford it at this time. He said, Dave, from what I see of Connect, from where we're at, he said, I don't think you can afford not to hire that person full-time. So we met as a leadership team. We have a a management team in place here, and we kind of looked at the figures, and we realized, man, we think this guy's right. We think we need to hire this person full-time, but financially, we just can't make this work. So I think we need to just kind of take a step of faith and and step out and hire this person full-time and just hope that God helps us in that. Because on paper, it doesn't look like we can afford it. Now, we had some money in savings, and we'd like to one day be in our own facility, in our own building, so we're trying to kind of put some money away to, to plan for that. So we knew we had that kind of if we needed it, and we stepped into 2017 with this kind of of face saying, okay, we're going to hire this person. So around Christmas of uh, uh, last year, I remember talking to Andy Brown, our newest staff person here at Connect. Sharing with him this position we wants to fill. Asking if he would consider it. Pray about coming. Now, here's how I know God was in it. I'm on the phone uh, with him. He's in Florida, Tampa, Florida at the time, okay? He's like in shorts, sat by a swimming pool. I'm here in December asking him to come here <laughs> and work for us. He says, I'd love to. So he took the job. He came. Well, here's the cool part about what happens when you step out of control into that area of risk. God shows up. God answers your prayers. So we had this budget for 2017 of how much we expected each month in our offerings, and then we plan on how much we're going to spend based on those numbers. So January came and went, and we looked, and we got the report from our bookkeeper, and as far as the the amount we needed for offerings for January, we were like right on the money, like exactly how much we expected is how much came in. February comes and goes, right on the money again. What we needed is what came in. March comes, and this is the month that Andy's now packing up his his box truck and bringing all his belongings, moving up here to start on April the 1st. So Andy starts April the 1st. A few days later, we get the report for um, March. And we find out that in in one month, we are $15,000 more in offerings than we would planned for. And that's huge. That's like almost 50% more than we normally get. So we're like, wow, praise God. We thought maybe some tax returns had come in and people had given it a little bit more. We, you know, we didn't really know why it was, but we were like, hey, thanks God, that's awesome. So then Andy starts, he's been working for us for a month and then uh, the beginning of May, our numbers come in for April. Same again, $15,000 more than we planned for. So we're like, wow, <laughs> this is great news. And I remember meeting as our leadership team, just looking at these numbers, trying to figure it out. And in that moment, I honestly believe but God kind of dropped this thought to my mind. I said, guys, I said, I actually think it's because we hired Andy. I think we were worried. We were waiting for the money to show up so that we could hire him. And God was saying, hey, I'm waiting for you to hire him so I can provide the money. God stepped in. When we stepped out of that area of control towards the vision that God had given us, he showed up and he supplied our needs. And I think some of us this morning, maybe we're holding back a little bit because we're afraid to step out into that risk. But we have a God who loves us, who wants to provide for us. But not only that, has given us a plan of how we can survive in that area by that persistent prayer. That's what happens with this widow. She could have stayed in the control zone. She could have just accepted this was her lot, that she had injustice, and oh well, what are you going to do? But she didn't. She had this vision of justice, So she stepped out of control and she stepped into this area of risk where she started badgering the judge, persistently asking for justice, showing him how bad she wanted it. And the question I want to ask you this morning is, how bad do you want it? How much are you willing to pray? How persistent are you willing to be? It took John Searing 800 letters before he finally got a yes. How persistent will you be praying for that situation in your life? I can remember growing up in the late 80s. It was uh, 1989, and uh, around November time, this book came out that you could buy. It was Christmas was coming, and this was a great book you could buy as a Christmas present. And it was like a highlight of the decade. It was all the big news stories from the 80s. It was this hardback book, and it was pretty big, and it had all the different big events throughout the 80s from across the world, pictures and stories. And the reason they waited till the end was because they wanted to get it out by Christmas, so they, they released it in November of 1989. Well, unbeknownst to them, there was one more event that was still going to take place in the 80s. In fact, it was on November 9th, 1989. Does anyone know what happened on November 9th, 1989? The Berlin Wall came down. That was when the Berlin Wall was knocked down. And it didn't feature in this book. If you'd have bought this book as a Christmas gift, it would have missed one of the greatest events of the 80s because it happened right at the end of the decade. And many people will tell many stories of why that wall came down, political, uh, change in power, all these kind of things. But there's one guy, he's a pastor. His name was Christian Führer. He was the pastor of St. Nicholas Church in East Berlin. And he'll tell you, But it was prayer that brought that wall down. Because in 1982, in a church where it was illegal for people to meet in this communist country, he had a few people that used to come into his Monday night prayer meeting where they would pray for peace. He said it was very rare they'd have more than a dozen people. But every Monday night, they would gather in this church and they would pray for peace. As the political climate started to change throughout the late 80s, so people got more and more um, excited about the idea that maybe this wall would come down. and This prayer meeting grew. On the 9th of October 1989, 8,000 people crowded into this church to pray. Immediately following the prayer meeting, they were all given candles and they stepped out onto the streets for a peaceful protest around the city. The Secret Service at the time, the Secret Police in um, East Germany, they heard about this and they'd, they'd actually said, if we see anyone protesting, They will be arrested or killed. So these people stepped out, knowing that this could actually end in imprisonment or death. But out they stepped. They started marching, and no one was arrested. No one was killed. And they say that particular march was the very first thing that kind of had this domino effect where more and more people got a bit more confident and brave and started protesting. And a month later, the authorities finally gave in and allowed the wall to come down. But it all began... Seven or eight years before, in a prayer meeting, a pastor in that community just praying and praying. You know, God's been challenging me recently. Dave, what are you praying for, for Connect Church? Are you sticking in that control zone where it's it's pretty safe? Or are you having some big God-shaped prayers that you're praying for Connect Church and for the future? What's your vision this morning? What's your vision for the lives of these kids? What are you asking God for in your persistent prayer? Let's learn from this widow and pray and pray and pray. Let's pray. Father, Jesus, you told us these stories for a reason. They weren't just anecdotes. They weren't just small stories, Lord. There's so much truth hidden in these stories, truth you want us to learn, truth you want us to to live by. So may we be inspired by that persistent widow who got justice from an unjust judge that we can come to the greatest judge, the most loving of fathers, a father who wants to hear and answer our prayers. But I wonder sometimes if you don't just wonder how bad we want it. How much are we willing to pray? How often are we willing to pray? Lord, help us to be the John searing of prayers as we pray and pray and pray for your will to be done in our lives and in our community. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.